Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends. Thanks for joining our podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called Patreon.com slash BP Show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show, patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. The blue wave, it turns out it was even bigger than we thought. And it all adds up to a total repudiation of the politics and the policies and the person of Donald Trump. What do you say? Hello, everybody. On uh, November 9, on a Thursday, it is the Bill Press Show. Here we are, and here you are. All great to be back together again with lots and lots to talk about. Yes, indeed, the aftermath of uh, the results of uh, November 7 coming into um, clearer perspective, and everybody just stunned, stunned by the sweep of the progressive Democratic victories uh, nationwide uh, on Tuesday at every level, city council, mayors, state legislature, uh, and uh, governorships, of course, Uh, sending the Republicans reeling and wondering what the hell do we do about Donald Trump in 2018. Meanwhile, lots of other news, of course, uh, on the uh, uh, sexual harassment front, uh, sexual assault front. Kevin Spacey, yet another accuser, comes forward yesterday, and Hollywood has ripped Kevin Spacey right out of uh, a movie set to be released on uh, December 22nd of this year. Uh, and Donald Trump in China praising the Chinese for screwing the United States on his various tax deals, those same tax deals that Donald Trump campaigned against and promised to retaliate against as candidate. He has certainly changed his tune uh, as president. Man, that's just we're just, just the beginning of where we're going to start today. So much to talk about. So you stay uh, good to have you with us. Stay involved. And send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. We'll jump right into it. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. Yesterday at Cook County Courthouse, there was jury selection. How about it? Yeah. Including former President Barack Obama. He was there. He doesn't have a job anymore in the White House. Now, Barack Obama was also summoned for jury duty in 2010, when he was a little busier than he is now, Barack Obama showed up at the courthouse, went through the process, 
of sitting through the uh, the informative yeah. session on if you are picked as a juror, which they point out <laughs> in this AP story, is a 20-minute video anchored by Lester Holt uh-huh. from back when he was a local yeah. guy in yeah. Chicago, apparently. But he was not picked. Barack Obama was not picked. He was dismissed, and he was given a check for $17.20 for performing his civic duty. He said that he would donate that money to Cook County. Well, what, are, what so what are, what's the big deal? I mean, I get called, I go down to the courthouse, right? So why shouldn't he? No, yeah, it was really good of him to show up. <laughs> yeah, could exactly. Have, he could have begged off, but I think it was He a, sure could have. That was a, an important message to send. Good for him. Yeah. Uh earlier, and he looked like he had a good time while he was there. Sure, yeah. I mean, what else does he have to do? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Uh, earlier this year, we said farewell to Sebastian Gorka from the Trump administration. He was the Trump. Gee, I wonder aide. where he might end up. Where did he end up? Well, yesterday, Fox News made it yeah. official. He has been hired to work Shocking. there at Fox News. It was announced by <clears throat> Sean. It is Dr. Gorka to you. Dr. Yes. Gorka. But it please. was announced on Sean Hannity's radio show first. Yeah, uh, but come yesterday. on. Come on. He was working for Fox all along. Of course he was. Yeah, just like. Hope Hicks is, and Kellyanne Conway is, and all of them are. By the way, I love that there's a political piece the other day about what all of these former Trump administration people are doing, and Reince Priebus apparently is just playing golf every day and drinking Heinekens. <laughs> By the way- With Sean Spicer. That sounds yeah. pretty damn good. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, if I've worked for Donald Trump, my out plan is going to be play golf all day and drink Heinekens. It's <laughs> really all I want to do. By the way, one other quick story. Last night was the Country Music Association Awards, yeah. the CMA Awards. Not really going to go through who won anything, but it was telling because they started off the show with a parody song about how bad Donald Trump is and started talking about how he needs to stop tweeting so much. Whoa. That's the Trump base, man. Stay in China. Yeah, or right. It's illegal to, che- illegal to tweet. On your radio, on TV, and online. This is the Bill Press Show. Yep, they can't even shut them up, not even in China, where tweets are forbidden, except for the President of the United States. He's got a cell phone, and he hasn't stopped. I woke up to another Donald Trump tweet this morning. What do you say? Hello, everybody. China. China. <laughs> on a Thursday, uh, November 9, it's kind of good to have the president out of town. You know what I mean? It seems, it's a, little nice. more, seems a little more normal. It's, it's not, not bad. Not, not as much craziness going on. It's the Bill Press Show. Welcome. Great to see you today. Thanks so much for being with us uh, for the next two hours as we uh, romp through the headlines of the day and uh, give you a chance to comment on them. Of course, we're with you. Go ahead. Just about everywhere, every way we can be online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Of course, looking at you on Free Speech TV uh, uh, nationwide and out in uh, the greater Chicago area, WCPT, and in Indiana, Indiana Talks. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And remember, it's two way street. We want to hear from you. Your comments on the news of the day, send us your comments on Twitter. Uh, at BP Show, or you can just go in the uh, chat room, uh, Jamie, at uh, BillPressShow.com, right? YouTube.com YouTube. backslash the Bill Press Show. But yeah, the YouTube you player right there is on our website as well. You BillPressShow.com. You got it. Uh, yeah, lots going, uh, lots and lots going on. By the way, uh, it was yesterday, um, uh, uh, 
I don't know whether you had a chance to see. Uh, yesterday was the first anniversary of the disaster that struck this uh, nation uh, one exactly one year ago with the uh, Electoral College election only of uh, Donald Trump. And, and of course, uh, he wasn't going to brag about it yesterday, no, because he doesn't do that. I mean, he's not still talking about how many Electoral College votes he won. No, he wouldn't do that. Not Donald Trump, no. Uh, he wouldn't send out a photo from Air Force One giving the thumbs up, uh, which had been planned ahead of time, by the way, because it went off at, uh, the tweet went out at 2.30 in the morning, Beijing time. So clearly that was not when this photograph was taken. Uh, and well, I don't he, know. I mean, considering no. his weird sleep schedule, who knows with that guy? And who, uh, he, certainly Donald Trump would not have decided, okay, I'm going to celebrate my first year in office by standing here with four other white guys and one white woman. That was a, this is the Trump administration, and it was a Jared Kushner and Steve Miller and Hope Hicks uh, and the guy who does his social media. Uh, Dan Scavino. Dan Scavino. Stephen was, Miller was in the picture. Stephen, I mentioned him. It's great. It's one great. Other guy, but it was just five white guys and a white woman. Keep that picture. Yeah. Keep that picture. And in a year. All thumbs up. And in a year, let's see how many of those people have gone to jail. Uh, <laughs> or, or been indicted on something. It is one year as of tomorrow that we had our election victory, and it's uh, it was a great victory and a victory that made a lot of people very happy. Uh, yeah, it made a lot. <laughs> that, that was in South Korea because it's you know perfect time to bring that up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, made more people unhappy. And of course, yesterday he congratulated the deplorables, all caps. Yeah, you know who uh, who who voted for him. And it is strange that he's in China celebrating the Chinese and congratulating the Chinese on their trade deals, which have left a huge a trade imbalance, uh, trade trade debt with the United States. If you remember, <laughs> I clearly do, uh, this is something that, well, first of all, Donald Trump's been complaining about long before he became a candidate for president. And it and building the wall was one of the two, and locking Hillary up, I guess, they were the three uh, centerpieces of his campaign for president. Remember, he was going to retaliate against China. He was going to get go to China and give them hell. He used stronger words than that, and particularly because they were manipulating our currency. Uh, yesterday, that's not the Donald Trump that we saw in China. Yesterday, it was pussycat Donald Trump. I have great respect for you for that because oh. you're representing China. China. But it's too bad that past administrations allowed it to get <laughs> so far out of kilter. So, no, no, no. All those bad trade deals, all that manipulation of currency, it wasn't China's fault. No, it was the fault of past administrations. The last thing I'm going to do is blame China. Both the United States and China will have a more prosperous future if we can achieve a level economic playing field. Right now, unfortunately, it is a very one-sided and unfair one, but... But, but I don't blame China. No, don't blame China. All right, <laughs> blames blames the United States. You know, I thought wasn't there it used to be something where, whenever a Democratic president traveled abroad, that if he said anything critical of the United States, Republicans would say, "No, politics stops at the water's edge. That's you right. don't go to another country and criticize the United States." That's right. Remember. Yeah, I do remember. Uh, yeah. I remember particularly when Barack Obama said that the United States, uh, in terms of nuclear, we wanted a nuclear-free world, and the United States was one of those nations that had 
pursued the nuclear weapons and, in fact, used one. I mean, Republicans just went ballistic. The, the, right? the apology Bonkers. tour. The apology, the apology tour. tour. Remember yeah. that? Yeah. When he said and, 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 and admitted that even in the area of human rights, uh, that we've got some lessons to learn and some progress to make in the United States. God knows, right? But yeah, the apology tour. Now, <laughs> you hear that apologetic tone of Donald Trump in China? Oh, my. Well, of course, Donald Trump would rather talk about anything other than what happened here on November 7. Of course, we talked about it yesterday. But, you know, I have to tell you, I spent a lot of time yesterday just going through um, the results of November 7, not just in the big states, uh, in the big uh, hallmark elections in Virginia and New Jersey, but across the board, it is stunning, stunning the breadth and the depth of the progressive victories, Democratic victories, on November 7, uh, at the city council level, at the mayor's level, uh, state legislative races, and, um, and of course, uh, to two big governorships. Uh, and one, one thing I found that is so fascinating is so much of this is a result of this new grassroots energy that began the day after Donald Trump was sworn into office with the Women's March in Washington. And we've talked about this so much, and we've had these groups in here. But, no, I'm not taking anything away from the DNC because I think Tom Perez, particularly in Virginia, did a good job, and, and the DNC was involved in many of these races around the country. But where the candidates came from and the energy came from, they came from these grassroots organizations like Our Revolution, uh, Bernie Sanders group, like MoveOn.org, like Emily's List, like Run for Something, uh, and um, Indivisible, and all these organizations who went out and recruited candidates and then fought like hell for these candidates. And the results are really, really stunning. I mean, let's talk again. Let's start with about about, about Virginia. In Virginia, yeah. Okay, it was a squeaker. It was seen to be a squeaker all the way through. Everybody said it's going to be really close, maybe two points, right? Hillary Clinton won Virginia by five points last year. Ralph Northam beat Ed Gillespie by nine points. And again, the energy turnout in Virginia was up 16% over 2013, the last time they elected a governor when Terry McAuliffe was, uh, was, was elected, up 16%. In Charlottesville, University of Virginia, young people particularly coming out to vote, turnout was up 31%. Oh, I mean, that's phenomenal over 2013. And why did people come out to vote? Over one-third of the people in Virginia told the, the, the people, you know, the poll watchers or whatever, that, that, that from the networks, that they came out to vote, get this, over one-third came out to vote not for Ralph Northam, not against Ed Gillespie. They came out to vote against Donald Trump. 17% said they came out to vote for Donald Trump. So twice as many came out, twice as many came out to say that was their motivation for voting in a governor's race where Donald Trump wasn't on the ballot. Donald Trump didn't even campaign in the state. But, of course, what happened was that Ed Gillespie tried to mimic Donald Trump with his policies and his focus on immigration and 
painting all immigrants as gang members and standing up for the Confederate statues and being Trumpism, as we called it. Somebody called it Trumpism without Trump. Uh, and that failed miserably, blew up in his face. Uh, and we saw that in Virginia. And what was reflected in Virginia, so you've got uh, Ralph Northam as uh, elected, um, the uh, African-American first one elected statewide in Virginia since uh, Douglas Wilder was governor, uh, Democrat Mark Herring elected as attorney general. And then in the House of Delegates, where you really saw the sweep, 66, it used to be before yesterday, to Tuesday, it was 66-34. Democrats picked up 15 seats in the House of Delegates. It stands today at 49 48 with four seats still undecided. Man, that's close. So it could be, it could end up being, uh, what am I, no, 49-47, uh, I think it is, right. Um, it could be 50-50. Yeah. Or it could be 51-50. Yeah, it could, it's, that is but just going tight, from 66-34, and then the kind of people who want to we'll get into that later too, but just a total, total shift. And on top of that, you've got huge victory, of course, even a bigger margin in New Jersey, not unexpected, and Bill de Blasio coasting uh, to a second term as the outright progressive mayor of New York City. Remember, supported Bernie Sanders. He's a, he's a Bernie bro, ran as a progressive, uh, and has governed as a progressive. So huge victory there uh, as well. Of course, um, some Republicans are trying to poo-poo it, the um, never seldom heard of chair of the DNC, uh, Rona Romney. The uh, RNC. The RNC, yeah, I'm yeah. sorry, the RNC, thank you. Uh, Rona Romney, what's her last McDaniel. name? McDaniel. McDaniel, right, saying, oh, come on, this is no big deal. We're back to status quo. Republicans won five special, special elections, including Utah last night, that they should have won, and Democrats won two governorships that they should have won. So nothing really changed. They're going to try and create this big narrative. <laughs> they should have won Virginia. They should have won New Jersey. Mm, yeah, right. Uh-huh. Yeah, come on. By the way, oh, a Republican won in Utah? Shocking. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, Donald Trump endorsed Ed Gillespie. He didn't campaign for him. He endorsed him. He tweeted for him, and he did robocalls for him. Yeah, they were trying to win, but believe me, believe me, they wanted Virginia, and they thought they were going to win it. You know, the thing that, that really yep. stuck out struck out to me yesterday as I was reading more and more about the election is not just how big the blue wave was, but how many people won who have been, not necessarily personally, but their uh, identities have been attacked by Donald Trump as president. Donald Trump has come out, he has... Uh, said he's going to kick transgender members of the military out of the military. He's talked about African-Americans and the white supremacists who have opposed them, saying there are good yeah. people on both sides. He's talked about LGBT rights. He's talked and, about people of color. He's and talked women about he doesn't consider. Women, women in general. Sec second class He's talked citizens. about people from the Middle East, uh, of Middle East descent. But if you just look at how voters responded to that, Virginia elected its first openly transgender state lawmaker in Danica Rome. Uh, in Minneapolis, a transgender activist, Andrea Jenkins, was elected to uh, 
the city council. Justin Fairfax, the next lieutenant governor of Virginia, he's the second African-American to win statewide in Virginia. In New Jersey, Sheila Oliver was elected as the first female African-American lieutenant governor. In Charlotte, North Carolina, their first African-American female mayor, Vi Lyles. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you could go on and on down the list. Manchester, New Hampshire elected their first female mayor, their first ever female mayor. Right. The people that really, really... Uh, shown uh, on Tuesday, if you will, are the, the people Peter's talking about there, women, uh, people of color, uh, in, in uh, again, in Virginia, uh, among women, the t- first two Latinas elected ever to the House of Delegates in Virginia, the first Asian-American woman ever elected to the House of Delegates The new uh, mayor of Hoboken is a Sikh. Yeah, I'm getting, I was getting there. Yeah, sorry, right. I didn't mean to cut you off. But uh, If you look, at, as Peter mentioned, at people of color, the first uh, African-American mayor of Charlotte, Vi Lyles, right? You mentioned her. Uh, the first uh, uh, African-American mayor of St. Paul, Minnesota. Uh, in I love this. In Helena, Montana, yeah. the first African-American mayor who happens to be a, Liberi- a refugee from Liberia. Again, just a, anti-Trump, right? He dumps on refugees. He dumps on immigrants. Helena, Montana, of all places, Alexis, a Liberian refugee, uh, as its mayor. Um, the LGBT community, a big night. Peter, you mentioned Danica Rome, first transgender member of the House of Delegates in Minneapolis. Two transgender people elected to the Minneapolis City Council. Seattle, the first lesbian mayor of the city of, of, of Seattle. And in um, Palm Springs, California, the entire city council now in Palm Springs, California, is LGBTQ. Yeah. Right. Entire, or as there was a headline last night, the entire council's queer, <laughs> which some, some people now don't use as a pejorative term at any rate. And I certainly wasn't in that sense. Um, but the amazing, amazing strides across the board, and I know I'm forgetting a few. Um, the progressive community, again, I mentioned Our Revolution and other organizations. I talked to our friend Larry Cohen from uh, Our Revolution, yeah. his chair of the board yesterday. He was really, I mean, he's over the moon, but he mentioned <clears throat> particularly Somerville, Massachusetts. So the uh, Our Revolution people up in Massachusetts, they focused on Somerville. They, seven members of our revolution stepped forward as candidates for the city council in Somerville. They decided they were going to take over the city council in Somerville. They challenged every one of the seven incumbents in Somerville, Massachusetts. Guess what? They won every single one of them. That's huge. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? That's enormous. So it just goes on and on again. The, the breadth and the depth of the win is striking. Um, and it all adds up to a total repudiation of the politics, the policies, and the person of Donald Trump. Uh, I have to say that one of my favorite uh, stories of the day was, uh, I don't even know whether he's a Democrat or Republican, to tell the truth, we should check it out. A guy up in uh, Tinton Falls, New Jersey, Vito, Vito Perillo, is 93 years old. What? Yeah, 93. He said he wore out two pair of shoes walking door to door, running for mayor, uh, and he won. 
Oh, my God. And he says he can't wait to get to work for the people of Tinton Falls, New Jersey. 93 <laughs> 90, years old. 93 years old. So, man. So it was a uh, it, it was a, a, a big, big night. And uh, at least one Republican uh, from Virginia had to admit uh, that all this Republican attempt, uh, and remember Donald Trump right away throwing Ed Gillespie under the bus by saying, well, Gillespie didn't embrace me and he didn't support my policies. That's why he lost. No, he did support his policies. He 100% Ed Gillespie tried to be the Donald Trump without Donald Trump standing alongside of him. But uh, Congressman Scott Taylor from Virginia said, come on, let's be honest. We got our clock cleaned. Logically, and if we want to be intellectually consistent, you know, in 2009, when Governor Bob McDonald won Virginia resoundingly, I mean, it was a, it was a referendum on President Obama. And if if the results last night were the opposite, we would have said that as well. So uh, I think that you have to say you have to attribute some of these things, given the exit polls, given the Democrat turnout. Yeah, Duh. it was. Right? Duh. Yeah, it was a referendum on, on Donald Trump and the referendum Donald Trump got crushed. Uh Scott Taylor going on to say, uh, just identifying Donald Trump's rhetoric as one of the chief problems. You can certainly attribute some things to perhaps uh, the candidate and Gillespie as well, too. But there was an overwhelming uh, thing that was looming large. And that was, I think it was the divisive rhetoric. Divisive rhetoric uh, of uh, Donald Trump. Uh, and so, uh, by the way, one other thing that uh, one other uh, big victory for uh, on Tuesday was uh, Obamacare, despite um Donald Trump's all of his efforts, um, you know, for the last year and, and the Republicans in Congress to badmouth Obamacare, do anything they could to either repeal it or just to weaken it uh, by, by executive action. Uh, the voters yesterday, four out of 10 voters in Virginia said their number one issue, number one thing they care about was health care. And that's Amazing. why they that's why they came out to vote. So Obamacare remains popular, uh, particularly, I guess, if you call it the Affordable Care Act and not Obamacare. And, of course, as we mentioned, up in the state of Maine, uh, voters overwhelmingly said, yes, we do want to expand Medicare, uh, Paula Page, and uh, we're going to do it. Now Paula Page is saying, I'll only do it if the legislature pays. Maybe he doesn't know. For the first few years, the federal government pays the, yeah. pays all the, the the price, the cost of expanding Medicare. I think Medicaid. he understands how this works. I, I don't think. Paul LePage understands. 59% of Mainers voted on expansion That's of Medicaid. a big win. Yeah. Question two. Yes, 59% of Mainers. Not to mention that Mainers also voted yes on recreational marijuana. But yeah. Paul LePage vetoed that in the Maine House, narrowly upheld his veto. So right. no recreational marijuana in Maine. Great. Right. Um, and um, it certainly does raise the question. We'll talk more about this with uh, two of our guests today, Congressman uh, Peter Welsh from uh, Vermont uh, joining us uh, next, actually, uh, first half first half hour with a guest, and then uh, Congressman John Yarmouth from Kentucky coming along a little bit later. Alex Seitzwald from MSNBC will be here for our second hour as a friend of Bill. Uh, but the question facing all these Republicans now, given the repudiation of Donald Trump uh, across the board on Tuesday, is what do they do in 2018? Do they run with him or do they run without him? Uh, Chuck Schumer had a little warning uh, yesterday for uh, his friends among on the other side of the aisle. In 2005, I was head of the DSCC, and you could smell a wave coming. The results last night smell exactly the same way. Our Republican friends better look out. 
our Republican friends better look out indeed. You know, one thing that I thought was really interesting, <clears throat> we've talked a lot about <laughs> all the great news out of the election, but I saw so many people holding up signs uh, as they were voting or, or tagging their social media posts by, by saying, this is important that we're voting locally. There was no national ballot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there were a couple of statewide races, but a lot of these were made up of local, in-your-community elections, which, frankly, a lot of people, a lot of Democrats, for so long had forgotten about. And I know we've got a long ways to go. This is a pretty good first sign. No, and again, it was coming from the grassroots up. I mean, there was no overwhelming Democratic leadership that said, okay, here's our plan, here's what we're going to do, and here are all these people are going to run. These, this sprang up from the from these grassroots, the new, particularly some of them new, some not, but re-energized uh, progressive grassroots organizations across the country. Uh, and we just we just gave you the tip of the iceberg. Didn't even mention, for example, down in Georgia, in the red state of Georgia. Yeah. Uh, there were two house seats. Yeah. State uh, house seats, state yeah. House seats uh, that were flipped. We've seen in Oklahoma. This year, not this Tuesday, but this year, there have been three uh, House seats flipped in Oklahoma from Republican to Democrat. So even in the red states, these uh, these local chapters of these grassroots organizations, progressive organizations, are making a huge, huge difference. Uh, a couple of little quick stories I mentioned here before we break at the half. Uh, Senator Rand Paul gave a little report yesterday uh, on his... Uh, Status. He is. He tweeted out. He is doing well, uh, but the count now is six, six broken ribs Damn, from that altercation with his uh, with his neighbor allegedly over um, <coughs> lawn clippings and uh, gotta take care of that stuff. Yeah, and leaves blowing <laughs> from uh, from one lawn to the <laughs> to the to the other. Apparently, a few that's been going on for with his neighbor for a long time. And uh, actor Kevin Spacey. Uh, who has already uh, just about ruined his his career has already already just about been about ruined from the first report of sexual assault um, from a young actor. Uh, now a, a woman yesterday came out and uh, told the story of how uh, Kevin Spacey up in Nantucket had assaulted uh, her 18 year old son uh, and. Um, What's the movie, Kevin uh, Peter? That now that was announced yesterday, Kevin Spacey has been ripped out. There's a movie that was completed with him. He is a role in, a starring role in it, right? Yeah. And they've reshot the movie, replaced him with somebody else. Yeah, I forgot the took name him, of the took movie. Took him out of the movie entirely. All yeah. the money in the world. All the money in the world. About J. Paul Getty. Yeah. And he plays J. Paul Getty. No. But it's a minor role. It focuses on, I think he's kidnapped or something. I forget what the actual story is. But he spent about 8 to 12 days filming. But he's still in the movie. They've now hired a new actor. And they're going to reshoot all of the scenes in which Kevin Spacey's character appears. Look, there is a very important lesson in all of this. Yeah. Which, like, look, the, so, the whole idea of... Sexual harassment and sexual assault has, is really coming to light now, and I think that so much of it has been covered up and excused and accepted for so long. But no longer. If, if you can't accept any of the reasons that like it's spelled out for you why it's wrong, just understand this. Kevin Spacey is poison now, and Kevin Spacey yeah. is one of the most 
uh, talented and uh, w- like well received actors of our generation. Yeah, and absolutely. now he can't even. I mean, they're they're canceling House of Cards or taking them out of movies. This is what happens when you yeah. act like this. And at first, when the first thing came out, we thought this was one isolated incident years and years ago, and now it yeah. turns out it was like Harvey Weinstein, a pattern. I'll take a quick break and come back with our good friend from. Uh, the state of Vermont, Congressman Peter Welsh, joining us. Uh, and today is the day that the House Ways and Means Committee is expected to vote on its tax plan. What's in it for middle-class Americans? We'll find out with Congressman Peter Welsh, if anything. China. Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. On a Thursday, November 9, uh, yes, here we are, The Bill Press Show. Good to be with you. Thanks so much for joining us as we boom out to you coast to coast from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., with all the news of the day brought to you today by the Laborers International Union of North America. Yes, the great members of the Laborers Union under President Terry O'Sullivan. So passed their building uh, just uh, yesterday. Uh, They have a brand new uh, addition to the Laborers headquarters down at 16th and I in Washington, D.C. with a new restaurant in it. Can't wait to uh, try out all the work of uh, President uh, Terry O'Sullivan and find out more information from their website, Liuna, L-I-U-N-A, BuildsAmerica.org. Uh, we had to expand our studio this morning, make a little room and uh, uh, extra room and add some extra chairs to welcome the entire congressional delegation <laughs> from the state of Vermont to uh, our studio. And, Sitting uh, in one pretty nice chair, and, I'll say. <laughs> here he is right across from us, Congressman Peter Wells. Hey, Congressman. Great I'm to all see. here. <laughs> great to see I you. had a hard time getting all of us together. All of us <laughs> together. Getting up here early. Yeah, but it's good to be back, Bill. It's been a while. It has been a while. Too long. So it's good to see you back. I want to ask first, have you, uh, do you have any news from your colleague and our good friend Mark Pocan? Uh, we heard yesterday that uh, Congressman Mark Pocan, the uh, co-chair of the Progressive Caucus, having uh, triple bypass surgery. Yeah, no, we're, I, I don't have the latest news, but we're, we're rooting for him. Uh, he's a fantastic member. Isn't he I know he's, yeah, he is. He's got, uh, you know, he's got that quality in a politician or a person, actually, alike. He's right. all in. Uh, he fights hard. Uh, but he, and he's really gracious and uh, really respectful of everyone. He's just hard not to like. It's been fun to watch him uh, as a relatively new member, you know, grow in stature. You know, he's all in. He plunges ahead, and he's got such a good disposition that even people disagree with him always want to listen to him and find some way to say yes. No, he's great. <laughs> That's good. So uh, we wish him well, and uh, we, uh, we're we going to send Peter uh, out to uh, Madison, Wisconsin to uh, give uh, – um, the good congressman, some tips on how to recover from open heart yeah, surgery. Yeah, recovering from open heart surgery, not fun, but it's not as bad. You can make it happen. Look at look yeah, at you. Yeah, you can. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, my brother, who's with me, had uh, surgery 20 years ago. And, and, and Peter did. I just did two, two months, months ago. ago. Yeah. Mu- well, you, you look awake. Uh, <laughs> in pretty good. Yeah, I'm, I'm playing it off pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> so, Congressman, the Ways and Means Committee is supposed to pass a House version of, this, of the uh, tax cut bill today and the Senate 
to release their version of it. What's in it for middle class Americans? Pretty much nothing. I mean, it's really it's really pretty bad. There's two things I want to talk about. One is process. And a lot of times that bores people, but it tells you how bad this is. This bill was written in secret, just like the health care bill. There were no hearings whatsoever. And you contrast that with the 86 tax change uh, with President Reagan in uh, Bill Bradley and Gephardt and bipartisan uh, mm-hmm. participation. They had months of hearings. They had over 430 witnesses. Uh, in the case of this tax bill, no one saw it until the first version was uh, rolled out. It was written essentially in the Speaker's office. Rolled out like just last week. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's not an on-the-level process. And what that means is that some of the very difficult challenges that anyone would ever face when when you're writing a tax bill, there's no discussion of it that allows for people to come to some consensus and try actually to achieve that goal that was stated as a goal, and that's to help the middle class. Because that bill, when it first came out, uh, 80% of the benefit went to the top 1% of taxpayers. So it's a, we're borrowing $1.5 trillion that they admit to. It's probably mm-hmm. much closer to $2.5 trillion. We're going to add that to the debt. And then 80% of that money goes to the top 1%. So you then have 20% of uh, Americans fighting over uh, – uh, or 99% of Americans fighting over 20%. Uh, so it's just not possible that the middle class gets a big boost. When you get granular, uh, there's some middle class families that would, would get uh, maybe a, a, hundred, a few hundred dollars, but there's a lot of families. If you have medical expenses, mm-hmm. you lose your ability to deduct that. <clears throat> Anybody like in a nursing home, uh, that that uh, they, they get hit really hard. Um, if you're in a high-tax state, <clears throat> pardon me, you can't right. deduct your uh, your tax, state and local taxes. They've reached some compromise, but, but you're still going to get hammered pretty hard on that. Uh, so bottom line here. Uh, uh, if you have, uh, I mean, I'm just looking here, the New York Times lead of, uh, editorial this morning, this tax bill could cost you a bundle. Um, one of the other parts uh, that they, uh, in addition to what you mentioned, if you have kids in college or, right. or, or if you have a college student loan. If you're a college student loan, you can't deduct the interest on that. If you're a corporation, uh, you can deduct your interest. If you're a teacher and you buy uh, pencils and pens uh, for your kids or you get school supplies, uh, which unfortunately is the burden many uh, teachers have to face in, in, in low-income areas, they can't deduct that any longer. Uh, if you're a corporation and you buy yeah, papers and pencils, you can deduct it. Right. So the it's it's just not at all a middle class bill the way the president claims it is. The other thing is that it's changing constantly because the Republicans have to uh, get it within the one and a half trillion dollar permission they gave themselves to add to the debt. And every time they make an adjustment to try to get votes, they have to it costs them money, so they've got to go elsewhere. And the latest question is whether they're going to try to come up with four hundred billion, quote, in savings by getting rid of the individual mandate in health care. And how that works is that if you get rid of the individual mandate, enrollment goes down and the cost so, subsidies yeah. go down. But that but means... Th- then those people don't have health care. So, yeah, but that means those people are without health care. So they right? lose health care. And in some cases, they get a tax increase, not a tax cut. So they're constantly chasing uh, the 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 ball trying to figure out how to get this within the one and a half trillion, but at the core, 
some corporations are going to do very well. Uh, many corporations aren't. And most Americans are going to not do well. It's not going to be anything that uh, makes a difference in their lives. But if you have a $20 billion estate, uh, you're, yep. you're going to be cool. Uh, you don't have to pay a state tax. Uh, and basically, if you're somebody in the top 1%, you're going to get a uh, several hundred thousand dollar tax cut. How do they square adding, even under reconciliation, adding one and a half trillion dollars to the debt with their reputation for being deficit hawks? Well, they don't have a, they don't have an earned reputation to be deficit hawks. But you know, they claim it. I they, guess they claim it, and of course, the deficit went up under Reagan. It went up under Bush. It went down under. Uh, it went uh, down under Clinton. And even with Obama, who faced the collapse of the economy that was inherited in the Bush administration, the percentage of debt to GDP went from like 10% down to 3%. So, you know, a lot of us on the Democratic side actually think you got to pay your bills. It's like... And, yeah, hello. And, right. and, and, it, and it, what's sad about this is that there are a, a number of my Republican colleagues who are serious about the deficit. Take a Senator Corker, for instance. Mm -hmm. All right. And, and they, they take that seriously. But what's happened under Paul Ryan is that they've abandoned any commitment to the deficit if uh, that gets in the way of them lowering taxes uh, for the 1% uh, or for corporations. And that means the middle class is going to lose. Uh, and and they'll, they'll just pile it on. They also operate, don't they, under this myth that um, we're not really adding to the deficit because by cutting taxes on the wealthy, that's going to stimulate economic growth, which is going to grow the economy and more than take care of that. Right. Moment. That's the faith-based uh, explanation they have <laughs> yeah. for how right. reducing How's revenue increases revenue. Well, it doesn't work. I mean, the economists have, have, have studied that, and we've actually had examples to show that it doesn't work. I mean, f first of all, just on a practical level, if you do give a middle-class tax cut, you know, a family that's going paycheck to paycheck, and they get a little more money... They're going to spend it because they're trying to pay their bills. If you happen to be in that one-tenth of one percent and you get another couple of million dollars a year because of a huge tax cut, you've got enormous discretion. And you might spend it on some luxuries, uh, but most uh, – they, they have the capacity to save it, not invest it. Yeah, so they've got everything they need. Yeah. They're more likely to pour it into a, So if the goal is to help the middle class, investment. you've got to lower the middle class – tax uh, burden. And if the goal is to stimulate the economy, you've got to have the money go to where it will be spent and recirculated in the economy. And the top end is not the way to do either of those things. Um, the And the Senate, do we know anything about what they're going to release today? I don't. I don't. What, what we know is Who it's knows? not it's going to be moving, the House. It's a moving target, <clears throat> right? Too. And you know, what's happening in the House, when you talk to some of my Republican colleagues, is they, they in addition to the faith-based uh, justification that you just articulated, they basically have given up in trying to write a ser serious bill. What they believe is they've got an existential political challenge. They've got to pass something, anything that they can call a tax bill. So however bad it is, they're just looking the other way so yeah. that they can claim that they've met their commitment to have a tax cut bill. Right. Okay. So um, there's a lot of talk about what impact so the, the Tuesday, you just have to admit, was a blowout for the Democrats. I mean, Republicans lost on every front across the board. Um, what, and now that the conversation is what impact they, that may have on the tax bill, 
it either makes Republicans more determined to get something done before the end of the year, or it says, hey, we got some problems, political problems here, that maybe we better be careful about this tax bill, because if it does hurt a lot of these suburban voters particularly, <clears throat> they're going to be even more pissed off. Well, I so think how do you think Tuesday impacts the passage, possible passage of a tax bill? Well, I think it does some of both, because I think for the party, they failed on health care. And if they fail on taxes, which is their signal issue, and by the way, cutting taxes, this is not a tax reform bill. Mm. I mean, that's no, hard. Thank you. No, it it's, is not. It's a tax cut bill largely directed to corporations in, in the top 1%, okay? That, for Republicans, should be like falling off a log. That should be easy. But yeah. they're having an incredibly hard time. Now, in this election, they're, 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 as a result of the election, they're going to want to pass something. It's going to put immense additional pressure on them to get anything out the door. But any of those members, Republican members who are in the high-tax states, uh, where they're going to lose that ability to deduct, that's a direct tax increase to folks in California, to folks in New Jersey, uh, and other of those states, Minnesota, yeah. uh, Vermont, actually. Those members by taking that vote, I think are going to have a scarlet letter on their forehead. And they are going to make uh, what are already tough races for them maybe impossible races. Uh, adding up uh, all the challenges, um, do you think that, that they're going to get something out by the end of the year? I suspect they may get something out of the House because I think they believe they have to pass it. And what they're showing day by day is that they're willing – to compromise their own goals as long as they get something get a out. Bill out. Right. right. And they'll call it what they want. But, but the Senate's it's a different stink. The Senate's a different story, right? The, I mean, they couldn't get as we know, you mentioned repeal earlier. They couldn't get even 50 votes for repeal of Obamacare as popular. I mean, as much as they've been talking about that. So is it certain that they get 50 votes for tax cuts? No, I don't think it is. I think there we, there may be a few people over there on the Republican side that take seriously uh, the fiscal responsibility <laughs> argument. You know, think about it for a second. We're literally passing a tax cut. That's what they're proposing, a trillion and a half dollar tax cut, largely to the high end. And we're borrowing money and we're going to make our kids and our grandkids pay for it. I mean, how do you how do you justify that? I mean, we need tax reform. I'm mm -hmm. for that. We need relief for the middle class. But we, if we're going to be serious, can't make our kids pay for any adjustments in the tax code. We've got to reform it, simplify it, make it better, but have uh, largely the benefit go to the middle class. And we could simplify the corporate tax rate and make that revenue neutral. You know, here, here's a, maybe a dumb question, but as someone who's totally outside the system, every time I hear about middle class tax cuts for the middle class, which certainly I'm for too, um, Cutting the income tax is not – that's not the number one tax of middle class. Payroll pay. tax. That's what I'm getting at. Yeah. Why, why aren't people talking about the payroll tax? Well, I think two things. One is that it's so linked to Social Security that uh, if you, if you, 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 right. you've got you to make certain – you, yeah. you, you don't want to compromise the Social Security trust fund. But, of course, we know there are other ways of taking care of that. Right. So, so it, I, Bill, actually think you're right that for many people <laughs> – the biggest burden they have is the payroll tax, yeah. especially at the low income. Yeah. Uh, in the middle, but the, so the, you you make a good point, but that hasn't been at all on the radar with the Republican majority uh, or, or Democrat. I mean, I don't hear anybody talking about it. I always, I'm just curious as to why they. Why well, you're right, and if you're a self-employed person, you know it's close to 15 percent. You know, so you've got some yeah. people who're self-employed, a small business. 
And that payroll tax, they have to pay both sides of it, the employer and the employee. Now, you would not know it uh, if the uh, Trump administration uh, be- uh, had anything to do with it. They are trying to keep it a big, big, big secret, uh, Congressman. But this is the open enrollment period now for the Affordable Care Act. Uh, yes, um, g- despite Donald Trump's rhetoric, it still exists. It's still out there. Uh, it still offers you and your family protection. You can still sign up for it. There are still affordable plans available, um, but they don't want you to know about it. They have done zero marketing or zero uh, publicity about the fact that this is the open enrollment. In fact, period. they're like shutting down the website on certain days, you know, yeah. like over the weekends. And they well, took the money away from the people who are supposed to help people will sign yeah. up. But it's open. The open period is November 1 to December 15. Right. Yeah, well, so, uh, so everybody out there who wants to check out what healthcare is available, uh, you've got until December 15 to do it, to look at what plans are which available. Which is a shorter what you period than was originally. That's right. right. So, number one, uh, check it out. Go to the website and do what you can. Number two, the point you're making, uh, what Donald Trump and the Republican majority was unable to do in daylight, that is have a vote to repeal health care, they're trying to do uh, in, the, in, the, in the dead of night. And everything that the Trump administration is doing is about trying to sabotage the effectiveness of the Affordable Care Act, you know, stopping the, uh, the cost-sharing reductions, mm-hmm. uh, pulling advertising from open enrollment, uh, 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 really hassling states that are trying to do the right thing. And what's really pretty cynical about that is that, number one, folks who would have access to health care may not get it because of the obstacles being put in their way. But second, the lower the enrollment, the higher the cost shift, those folks are gonna, who, don't, who don't get their health care, they're going to show up at our hospitals, and the hospitals are going to treat them. And then what happens is if you're getting employer-sponsored health care or buying it on your own, your premiums go up because you're gonna have, you end up having to pay for the uncompensated sure, sure. care. So that is a pretty cynical approach to a health care system. And by the way, the whole approach on health care, this is the bankruptcy of, of the Republican approach on this. They talk about the cost. That's a problem. But their solution is to take people off of health care instead of addressing high prescription drug prices, mm-hmm. uh, excessive procedures, uh, things that we really have to reform in the health care system to bring that cost curve down. But their approach is, hey, we'll just take 24 million people off of health care. That'll lower the cost. Well, you know what? It really doesn't do that. It just creates an enormous cost shift and a lot of heartache uh, for lots of families in this country. And we know that uh, Donald Trump himself and some Republican members of the Senate, maybe a House, and I guess the House too, are trying to kind of resurrect the effort, maybe not to, to totally repeal Obamacare, but to take away the individual mandate as part of this tax cut bill. Right. But that's to get about $400 billion <clears throat> to yeah. deliver as tax cuts to other How Americans. How likely is it that they are able to insert this? I know there's some other Republicans who are saying, no, no, wait a minute. We already fought that battle. Let's not bring that baby back. Right? I would put nothing beyond uh, what Paul Ryan will do to get this bill done. Really? Including yeah. the individual mandate. Okay. But that is toxic. And what does that do to uh, Susan Collins, or Lisa Murkowski, two courageous senators, John McCain, who voted against their repeal of health care when now they have a tax bill that ends the individual mandate and re- means that millions of Americans are now not going to be getting health care. 
so they would be required to vote on a tax bill that essentially accomplishes the destruction of the health care plan that they just defended. So how long before, um, under the leadership of your uh, senior senator, we get, not, I guess your junior senator, <laughs> we get a single payer? Uh, Bernie's working on it. And, you know, he's, he's got the goal out there. And I agree with that goal. You know, we have the, the most expensive health care system uh, with fewer people covered than most industrial nations. And the single payer approach, Medicare for all, uh, is the aspiration. Uh, how do we get there? You know, frankly, I think a solid step for Democrats is that we should be right now saying we want to let folks 50 and old, older and well, corporations buy into Medicare. Buy into Medicare. Yeah, yeah. That people understand Medicare. You don't have to have a whole new system. You don't get into some of the debates about how do you do the single payer. We had a, that challenge in Vermont. And I'm a proponent of single payer, but I'm a proponent of making progress. So I'd like to see the Democrats uh, really get behind a Brian Higgins bill that would be Medicare buy-in. And by the way, that helps employers. Let them buy in, too. If sure. they're getting health care sure. for their yeah. employees and your, their employees are over 50, let them buy into Medicare. Do you uh, – and would that include a public plan option as part of – Well, in effect, that is a public option. If you're buying into Medicare, that's a, that is the that, – that's much like a public option. And, of course, it's too bad that when we passed the health care bill, we, that we did not succeed in including a public option. That's something we lost in the, uh, in the Senate side. Thank right. you, thank you, Joe Lieberman. Uh, oh yeah, I forgot. That's right, Joe Lieberman. Yeah, uh, and uh, and 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 I have to say, to be fair, President Obama gave up the fight for that too uh, at, at at some point. So one of your colleagues, uh, Congressman, uh, made a big announcement yesterday about a vote that uh, the House of Representatives is going to have sometime before Christmas. Here is uh, Congressman Al Green. I now announce that before Christmas, there will be a vote on the chief inciter of racism, bigotry, hatred, xenophobia, sexism, ethnocentrism. There will be a vote in the U.S. House of Representatives, Mr. Speaker, on the impeachment of the president. How are you going to vote? Uh, we'll see. I mean, the, the bottom line here is that uh, I agree with a lot of what Congressman Green said. I mean, I think Trump is an extraordinarily divisive uh, a person. In the question here, uh, he got elected. Uh, and do, do you resort to impeachment where it, we have an incredible burden as a practical political matter? And that's the question that I have. The other question I have is this. Democrats won on Tuesday, and we have right to celebrate because uh, can the candidate for governor did a lot better in places than President Obama did. Mm -hmm. And uh, Ralph Northam is a good man, but he's no Barack Obama when it comes to being on the stump. <coughs> so it's a good— it's Very polite. Who is? Very polite. Well, said. the yeah, point who is— who is is a good point. Who yeah. is? But the voters, it yeah. shows the movement. Yeah. But here—and here's the question I have, uh, and it really goes to impeachment, too— Democrats have to be more than anti-Trump, uh, okay? Mm -hmm. That yeah. dynamic with Trump has got its own vitality, and it's real. But it's not where we are going to win. We've got to earn people's trust by coming out with a constructive agenda. I think we should be concrete. We should be for Medicare for all. We should be for an infrastructure plan that's paid for, and we should be willing to say how we're going to pay for it. 
we should be all in on not just college education, but job training. We've got millions of people uh, who don't have jobs in who, where there are jobs and they need skills, and we are lagging behind in that. Uh, so there are concrete things that the Democrats should be advocating that actually can boost the economy. And I want us to push forward on that and not just ride on the wave of sentiment about President Trump. And to some extent, that's one of the dangers of, of being all in on the impeachment. Mm-hmm. And bottom line, too, the real question is going to be what happens with the Mueller investigation, because that's where the questions are about whether there was some conduct uh, that really crossed the line. And I think that you've got to have the benefit of that investigation. And a lot of us have confidence in Mueller that he's uh, he's legit. Uh, and yeah. let's get that evidence before we decide what the outcome is. Uh, he certainly is off to a good start um, with, with uh, Manafort and Gates and uh, Papadopoulos. And now uh, word that he's about to close in on Michael Flynn and son. Uh, so, Congressman, don't don't wait so long before you come back next time. All right, time. it's great to see you. Great to Peter, see you too. Glad you're doing well. Thanks, Peter Welsh from He looks uh, good. Vermont. I can vouch for it. He looks, he looks this better than Bill. Is the Bill Press Show? <laughs> hey, everybody. This is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now, do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do: just search for the Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. The big wave keeps rolling on and Democrats are surfing it coast to coast to low everybody. What do you say? On a Thursday, November 9, so good to see you today. And thank you for joining us here on The Bill Press Show, coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. And if you go to the Capitol building and turn left or right, depending on which direction you're coming from, uh, you just go about six blocks and whoa, there we are right in the heart of the action in the shadow of the Capitol Dome with all the news of the day on the political front, on the sexual harassment front, on the tax cut front, and uh, lots more going on. We'll tell you all about it and uh, look forward to uh, your telling us uh, what you think about the news of the day. Uh, send us your comments on Twitter, as always, uh, at BP Show. Alex Seitzwald uh, from uh, NBC News will be here as a friend of Bill uh, for this hour uh, and uh, as soon as he gets here. Um, <laughs> have we sent out the patrol yet? We're close. <laughs> uh, National Guard, stand by. Um, and then uh, Congressman John Yarmouth, from Kentucky, joining us uh, uh, a little bit later to bring us uh, all the news from the Bourbon Caucus of the uh, United States House of uh, Representatives. Again, uh, want to hear from you on at BP Show. Um, send us your on Twitter uh, at BP Show, and we'll jump into the news of the day. Get your comments, but first, this is the Full Court Press. 
Just a couple of other stories making news. Now, about a year ago, we did this story about the uh, Chinese spacecraft, their space station, which has gone out of control. It's been up there floating around for uh, since a year ago. Well, they have now narrowed it down. We know when it's going to come down. They say that it's going to come down between January and March of 2018. And where? I'm glad you asked. Countries at risk include Spain, Italy, Turkey, India, and parts of the United States. What? Why can't they land it in the ocean? Well, it's out of control. They have no control over it. It's just going to keep spinning out of control until it hurtles back to the earth at dangerous right. speeds. And they they can't control where it goes. Oh, wait, Donald Trump's over there right now. Wasn't he, <laughs> was, does, wasn't he fixed this? Yeah, right. Uh, so just keep, keep your head up in the clouds January through March of next year. I you hope never by know then they're going to be able to narrow it down a little bit. I would hope so. Yeah. I would hope so. Yeah. Uh, a new a report from Billionaire Bonanza t- is a think tank. Took a look at how much money the richest people in the world are making. This is not good. The three richest people in the United States, Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, and Warren Buffett, own as much wealth as the bottom half of the entire U.S. population. In other words, 160 million people. Billion or million? Million. Million. And they are four of them? Three of them. Three. Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, Warren Buffett own as much as the bottom 160 million people in in, in America. It's the same thing. So you got 160 million people. Yeah, yeah, right. Own as much as those three men. But but why isn't Donald Trump on this? I thought he was uh, worth. $100 $100 billion, uh, right? I wouldn't look too deep into his, uh, into his finances. That might not be good. Bill, you have uh, an Amazon Echo, Alexa. I do. Well, you got to be careful because one man in Hamburg, he went out for drinks and he got a call from the cops because the cops showed up at his house, kicked down his door to find out that Alexa had turned all the lights on and started blaring loud music while he was awake, totally unprovoked. So the neighbors called and they thought that there was a party going on. It turns out it was just Alexa all by herself. You got to be careful of Alexa. She's got a mind of her own. I know. Oh, no. She'll kick in sometimes with the uh, with stuff that you hadn't asked for. You got to be careful. You know, and sometimes if you ask for the weather, I do. I ask for the weather in Washington, D.C., and she'll give me the weather like in St. Paul, Minnesota. <laughs> yeah. I- On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. All right, indeed. Uh, We are still celebrating, and we're going to continue to celebrate. And there's a lot to celebrate. The results of uh, Tuesday's uh, blue wave, they're calling it. Uh, It was a blue wipeout nationwide. Democrats winning uh, at every level from city council all the way up to governorships uh, and in red states and blue states as well, small towns and big cities. Hello, everybody. Good to see you today, Thursday, November 9. It is the Bill Press Show. We're live with you from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., joining you online uh, at YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. 
Also joining you, of course, on Free Speech TV and uh, with you on the great WCPT, the progressive voice of uh, Chicago. Uh, we've had um, uh, lots and lots of uh, um, news so far about the election and, and comments about the election. By the way, Alex Seitzwald, I think I mentioned, from NBC News, will be joining us here shortly uh, as a friend of Bill. Uh, then a good friend of ours, Congressman John Yarmouth from Kentucky, will be along for the uh, last half hour together. Um, but meanwhile, um, you have been commenting on the news of the day. Let's catch up on some of those comments before we jump back in. Uh, Jamie? I want to focus on our Twitter, on Twitter, at BP Show. Yesterday, during the show, we put up a poll. We were high off the Democrats' blue wave election wins. We asked you... Our Twitter followers, are the Democrat wins from yesterday's election day indicative of how 2020 will go? Thinking all the way to 2020. So we were asking <laughs> just you. just leapfrogged over 2018. Yeah, forget 2018. Uh, <laughs> no. 77% of, no. <laughs> hold on, 77% of you said yes, that those wins just the other day will be indicative of what we may see in 2020. Uh, 23% of you said no. A couple of comments. Our buddy Fred says, all yesterday's election results prove is that some Republicans are actually embarrassed being in the same party as Nazis and, cl- and Klansmen. Uh, and, yeah. and clowns. And clowns. <laughs> At Darian underscore Dave, we need new leadership in the Democratic Party. Sorry, but Pelosi is toxic for a young electorate. So he's thinking about uh, how Nancy Pelosi may reflect uh, in 2020. Well, it- that didn't prove that way in uh, Virginia, I have to say. The, uh, electorate, the young electorate came out of Virginia overwhelmingly, uh, something like 70 or 80 percent for Ralph Northam yesterday. Well, perhaps we'll see, if, we'll see if young people get fed up with how Nancy Pelosi is lukewarm responding to Donald Trump. So we'll, we'll see how that ends up. One more comment uh, off the poll yesterday. Joel says, where's my right. shrug option? After November 2016, I'm hesitant to say anything definitive. True. That's a good point. True. Keep those comments coming in on the blue wave, on uh, Trump in China, on tax reform, whatever you want to weigh in on, on Twitter at BP Show and in the YouTube chat room, youtube.com backslash the Bill Press Show. Okay. And uh, I would just I would just say that uh, uh, that the opinions expressed by Jamie Benson are the opinions of Jamie Benson. I don't think Nancy Pelosi's been lukewarm on Donald Trump. I think she's been pretty strong. You think so? On the, on most issues against Donald Trump. She made a deal with him to keep the government uh, uh, open, um, which I thought was a good deal at the time. And she wanted to make a deal on DACA. Uh, but the fact that she was willing to make the, and he reneged, those two deals doesn't mean she's been lukewarm, in my humble opinion, on Donald Trump. But let's say, let's go back to, uh, uh, to Tuesday because um, the results of Tuesday, look, we focus on Virginia and that's great. Virginia is so, so important. But as we've been discussing this morning, the real, I think, stunning news, and the more you look at it, the more impressed you've got to be by the breadth and the depth of the Democratic progressive wins on Tuesday, because it wasn't just Virginia, New Jersey. It wasn't just this New York, right? This little stretch of the eastern seaboard, mid-Atlantic. No, no, no. It was nationwide. And it wasn't just those big races, governor of Virginia, governor of New Jersey, mayor of New York City. No, no, no. It was city council races. 
It was mayor's races. It was state legislative races across the board. Across the board in big cities, in small towns, in counties, uh, wherever progressives um, had organized and, and put up candidates and were fighting the good fight. Uh, and there was an energy that we haven't seen before. Uh, one reflection in Virginia, the turnout in Virginia statewide. So the last time they had a, um, a uh, election for governor, Virginia is one of those weird states. I think it's only one of two where the governor serves one term, four-year term. That's it. Can't run for re-election. Boom. Uh, so the last time was 2013. The turnout Tuesday was 16 percent over what it was in 2013. Uh, and in, I mentioned Charlottesville, Virginia, uh, University of Virginia, the turnout was up 13 percent. And over one, I'm, I'm sorry, 13, 31, I got it backwards, 31 percent. And in Virginia, over one-third of the people who came out to vote said, told uh, the, the people from the networks, uh, the election watchers, that they came out to vote not for Ralph Northam, not against Ed Gillespie, they came, or for Ed Gillespie, they came out to vote against Donald Trump. That is, it just blows me away that, that Donald Trump had that impact. And again, this is the first time since he yeah. was elected. Yeah. In fact, it was like the first anniversary, one day before, that people had, voters had a chance to come out at some level, somewhere, somehow, and express their reaction to having Donald Trump in the White House. And what basically they said was, we don't like this guy. We don't think he belongs there. We're Republicans. We're Democrats. We're Americans. We're embarrassed by him. And we want to cast a protest vote. And the way to cast a protest vote was to vote against anybody who is in any way connected to Donald Trump. And in Virginia, Ed Gillespie was lock, stock, and barrel. Yeah, I know we've talked a lot about Virginia, and I know this is way, way bigger than Virginia. But the Virginia point is <clears throat> Republicans, I'm not going to say they should have won Virginia, but they definitely could have won Virginia. Yeah, no. Like, that absolutely. was a winnable election for Republicans. Virginia's had, I mean, Virginia's purple at best. Yeah. And you look across the country, right? You saw big wins not only in places like Virginia, which, as you said, is is purple, but you look in Georgia. You look in North Carolina. Uh, Chris Christie was the governor of New Jersey. He was a Republican. Granted, he's got a... Not very popular, but 16% still. approval rating <laughs> at this point, but still, Republicans can win yeah. in these states. And so it not only is it sort of highlighting the fact that Donald Trump is toxic, but also the Republican Party, which has bent over backwards to allow Donald Trump to act the way that he's acted as president. We've had not quite a it, year now yeah. of him being president, but... He has been enabled by the Republican Party, and people are just fed up. Well, they've got him. It's the party of Trump now. It is the party of Trump, and uh, and this uh, certainly raises big questions of looking into 2018. Um, the chair of the Republican uh, National Committee, uh, Rona Romney McDaniel, uh, was out yesterday trying, Peter, to make the point uh, that she, she, she 
by, by the way, she's really bad. She's pretty bad. She's pretty she's bad. She's pretty bad. Um, uh, trying to make the point that this was no big deal. We're back to status quo. Republicans won five special, special elections, including Utah last night, that they should have won, and Democrats won two governorships that they should have won. Mm, so nothing yeah. really changed. They're going to uh, try and create this big narrative. Yeah. They should have won Virginia. They should have won New Jersey. Yeah, no, no, no. Nice try. Uh, no cigar. She's doing uh, what she's got to do, but it's just yeah. not. It's just not truthful. Yeah, that spin is uh, is is so weak. Uh, on the other hand, um, Congressman Congressman Scott Taylor uh, from Vermont, Republican Vermont, says Virginia. Uh, from, I'm sorry. What am I saying? Vermont from Virginia. I said basically, no, no, no. Let's just be honest. Logically, and if we want to be intellectually consistent, you know, in 2009, when Governor Bob McDonald won Virginia resoundingly, I mean, it was a, it was a referendum on President Obama. And if if the results last night were the opposite, we would have said that as well. So I think that you have to say you have to attribute some of these things, given the exit polls, given the Democrat turnout. Yes, it was a referendum on President Trump. And what turned people off about the Republican Party and Donald Trump? You can certainly attribute some things to perhaps uh, the candidate and Gillespie as well, too. But there was an overwhelming uh, thing that was looming large. And that was, I think it was the divisive rhetoric. The divisive rhetoric of Donald Trump. Again, raising the question for uh, 2018, as Republicans go into 2018, uh, what do we do about Donald Trump? Do we run with him or do we run without him? Uh, But the broader and bigger news uh, for Tuesday May have been not to not to put down the importance of um, Virginia, New Jersey, and New York City, but when you look about all the people that Donald Trump has attacked, the 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 uh, um, categories of people Donald Trump has attacked: people of color, women, refugees, transgender Americans, gay and lesbian Americans. They are the people who thrived, who really soared in Tuesday's results. And I know we're going to forget a few, but just look at them. I mean, uh, some of the ones that we think of off the top of top number, women, right? Uh, the first two Latinas elected to the Virginia House of Delegates. Uh, the first Asian-American woman elected uh, to um, the House of Delegates uh, in, in Virginia. Uh, among people of color, the first African-American woman elected as mayor or African-American, period, a woman elected as mayor of Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, by Lyles, I believe. Yeah. Right? Her name is, yeah, right. Uh, in Minneapolis, um, I'm sorry, St. Paul, Minnesota, the first African-American uh, male elected as mayor. Hoboken, New Jersey, the first Sikh elected as mayor. Where's that turban you saw him on the streets yesterday? Yeah. Right? Uh uh, out there, um, he's the first Sikh mayor of uh, New Jersey, and one of the first in the entire nation. I, don't, I guess there have been others, but I don't know who they might have been, but certainly the first uh, in, in New Jersey. Um, among the, the um, uh, um, LGBT Americans, many, many wins. The first transgender person elected to the Virginia House of Delegates Two transgender Americans elected to the Minneapolis City Council. Seattle electing its first lesbian mayor. Uh, I mentioned earlier that um, in Palm Springs, California, 
with two new members being elected there, the entire city council of Palm Springs, California, which has been a little gay mecca for a long time. Sure, yeah. Is now the entire city council entirely LGBTQ. Uh, one other person of color, Helena Montana, uh, elected the first African-American mayor, who happens to be a refugee from Liberia. Yeah. So, that's right. Now, what am I thinking? He couldn't run for president. No, he wasn't born here. Well, it's not, right. It didn't stop Ted Cruz, but... That's true. But he could be elected to local office. Sure. Yeah, for sure. Same up. Same thing does. No, I mean, you, so it's, it's, the, it's, it's astounding. A, yeah, across the board. Right. And these are people All the people who, Donald Trump hates. The, the, uh, exactly. These are, these are people who have been under attack by the Trump administration since day one, since the day he took office. LGBTQ members, uh, people from other countries, people of Middle, Middle Eastern descent. Uh, you mentioned the mayor of Hoboken who wears the turban. I mean, that has got to freak Donald Trump out. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. I Which makes if, me happy. I wonder if it's near that uh, golf course of his. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> God, I hope so. That would be great. Would I be hope there's a big great. sign of the mayor, uh, a picture of the mayor yeah. right near the golf course. Uh, and the other the other uh, 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 thing I want to give a shout out to are because the the energy and the leadership uh, and the creativity came on Tuesday not from the top down. You know, it wasn't Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and Tom Perez who orchestrated all of this. These were the grassroots organization. Some of them knew after since Donald Trump was elected. Some of them have just have found new life. You've got MoveOn.org and Emily's List have been around for a while, ACLU. Uh, as well. And then you got the new groups like Our Revolution and Run for Something and Indivisible. They were all out there. They were recruiting, organizing, recruiting candidates, and they saw this as their first opportunity. And boy, did they succeed in Georgia. Red Georgia flipped two House seats. Uh, in Washington State, in the 45th, flipped that one uh, Senate seat, creating now an entire blue wall down the Pacific coast uh, of the United States. Um, I mentioned earlier, I spoke to Larry Cohen, who's the chairman of, uh, uh, the chair of the board of Our Revolution uh, yesterday, was ecstatic about what happened up in, in Massachusetts in several towns, but particularly in Somerville, Massachusetts. The Our Revolution chapter there, the Massachusetts chapter, um, seven members of that chapter decided from Somerville, Massachusetts, that they were going to take on and challenge the entire city council, seven out of seven. They put up seven candidates. They fought like hell. They organized like hell, and they won all seven seats. Yeah. Now you talk about. <laughs> By the way, I hope they don't. I hope they realize that um, that's not always the case in politics. You know, you don't always win every race you get in. Yeah, that's not how it works they all got the time. Into, they got into seven <laughs> races and they and they won all seven. So. Uh, Across the board, it was, uh, again, astounding, I think, and stunning, the depth and the breadth of the, um, of the Democratic wins uh, at every level from city council all the way up to uh, two very important uh, governorships. Uh, Alex Seitzwald covers all of these issues as the uh, crack political reporter for NBC News. I'm making it into our studio this morning. Hello, Alex. Good to see you. Good morning, Bill. Thanks what, for having me. What, so... Um, What's your read? What is let's let me put it this way. 
what what impact does what happened Tuesday have on the Republican and the Democratic Party? Where is where do the Republicans go from here? Where do Democrats go from here? I think it's huge in both parties and for totally different reasons. For Democrats, just to start out with, there was a level of panic setting in, I think, a level of desperation. People really nervous, needed to win. Nervous Nellies. Ner- very nervous Nellies. I mean, I was talking to people who were saying, if we lost this, my fundraising is going to dry up. I'm going to have to start looking for a new job. <laughs> There's going to be demands for heads to roll. I, I think for a party that was already going through a lot of introspection to say lightly or, or, or you know, circular firing squad to say it worse, it, this would have been a real disaster. So this is a huge shot in the arm. It makes people a lot happier. Uh, it's going to bring money in, going to get candidates out, going to raise enthusiasm. For Republicans, they, they've known that Trump is a problem, but they haven't really known known it, mm. and now they, mm. they have to confront it. And uh, it, it's the, the, just the results being so decisive, so much bigger than anyone expected, especially in the suburbs, that has a lot of these Republicans in these key suburban districts in California and New York and Minnesota, all across the country, very nervous right now. And you saw, as I just mentioned, right, in, in Virginia... What is it? A, a little over a third of the voters said they came out to, mo- to vote against Donald Trump. Yeah, yeah, and the the people who said they were influenced by Trump were overwhelmingly it's like two to one anti Donald Trump. So he was clearly a factor in this race. Uh, and um, and again, it's a race that he wasn't really involved in, right? You know, like he sort of made the point to, but I mean, he might not have made the point. But Ed Gillespie certainly didn't want him in the race. You know? And and even if he, you know, he, yeah, he he tweeted a couple times, and I think yeah. he cut one robocall, but he didn't get in the race directly. But the well, the Gillespie tactics, his message was clearly influenced by Trump. Yeah. And I was looking at some data yesterday that surprised me. Uh, once Gillespie rolled out his first MS thirteen ad, you know, where the, the tattooed Latino guys. Um, his asserting favorite... that Ralph Northam was basically a member of him. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Right. When he wasn't, wasn't he wasn't, uh, you know, working with child pornographers. He was a member of right. MS-13. Essentially, the ad said. Yeah. Uh, Gillespie's favorables just tanked and never really came back from that. It was, I mean, it's a really <laughs> noticeable number. So there was a big backlash in the suburbs in among independents and among the kind of you know wealthy, educated white uh, suburban people to that style of campaigning. Right. So one um, approach uh, Republicans might have had is, uh, no, we're going to fully embrace Donald Trump and stand with him and put our arm around him and be his guy. Luther Strange tried that. Well, that didn't work. So Ed Gillespie says, no, okay, here's a different approach. We know that for some people, Donald Trump is still very popular, so we don't want to alienate them. So what we'll do is we'll adopt Trump's policies and issues and rhetoric without Donald Trump being present, the famous phrase, whoever came up with it, maybe it was you, Trumpism without Trump. Yeah, I wish I could take credit for that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Sure, sure, let's say, yeah, let's yeah, say yeah. I did. Yeah. Yes. I'm giving you credit for yeah, it. Yeah, it is a great um, That didn't work. Yeah. Well, and, and the, the so uh, this who, is- Who's all, the first one that's going to run, Republican run as the anti-Trump candidate? The, <laughs> I think you'll have a few, and I don't. I, it'll be hard for them to escape. Um the the Gillespie thing is especially troubling if you're a you know more moderate Republican because everyone assumed that well, given his background he because would have Gillespie is an establishment Republican exactly right and and everyone knew that he was a known quantity going into this he had run before he had been the RNC chairman so everyone assumed that all these people in the suburbs would kind of give him you know a pass okay yeah he's yeah. running these ads but he doesn't really mean it 
Uh, and that's what we all believed. And, and every, all the pundits, everyone assumed he was running a, a, a great campaign. And maybe he was running a really smart campaign. Maybe that was the best he could have done given the, the, the cards that he was dealt. Uh, but so it's not easy to just blame him as a bad candidate. It's it's clearly the message. It was clearly the political environment. Okay. Um, Congressman John Yarmouth is joining us uh, soon. But before he gets here, I just have to ask you, because you and I uh, spent pardon me, so much time, you were covering the Bernie Sanders campaign. Um, and we have seen in the last week or so, you alluded to it, Donna Brazil's book coming out. Yeah. Uh, and you remember during the campaign, Bernie was saying, Martin O'Malley was saying, the DNC is in the tank for Hillary. They were right, weren't they? There, there was some things that they were right about. Yeah, I mean, um, the 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 center of her accusation is this deal, which I actually obtained uh, yes. between Hillary Clinton and the DNC. In uh, it was signed in August of, of 2015, so this was you know months before the, or excuse me, September 2015, months before the primary. And it really gave the Clinton campaign a significant control over the DNC in exchange for money. At the time, the DNC was in horrible debt. And did Bernie have the same deal? No, Bernie did not have the same deal. Bernie was not even made aware that this deal was cut with the Clinton campaign, which I think that to me is the is the most okay. so dangerous. So I just part. want to point on, dwell on it for a second. So when Clinton people say, as some have said, when I've been debating them on CNN the last couple of days. That Bernie had this. Bernie and Hillary just had the same deal with the DNC. This is no big deal. They're lying, aren't they? That, yeah, that is not true. And uh, th then they will say, well, they had the opportunity to cut the same deal, which is maybe in theory true, but but not really in practice at all. And so what you end up is a, with a situation, regardless of who was offered the deal or whatnot, where one candidate had significant control over the referee, the DNC, and other candidates didn't. Now, I does that equal? an effect on the primary. I haven't seen evidence of the in and of itself is, I, I, I agree, I think it's shady, I think it's a bad look, and Tom Perez, the current DNC chairman, has said this. Uh, and he, that's what Donna Brazil was saying. He said on our show Tuesday morning, he was here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and, and he said that going forward, they're not gonna let something like this happen again. Right. I mean, I think no. just, it, it, objectively, it sets up a situation where the more money you are willing to put into the DNC, the more favors you could get out of it, the more control you could have over the party. Right. And, it, and, and you know, it, I, I agree. It didn't impact the primaries, which are conducted by the states in the states. Right. It didn't impact that vote. But it did impact the scheduling of debates, the timing of debates, who knows what else, right? Yeah. And Things that, that were leading up to the convention, speaking slot, you know, who knows? But, or what the DNC was saying at the time, because the Clinton campaign had uh, some control over press releases, right, that the, was put out by the chair of the DNC. Yeah, here's my fundamental thing on this to get past what all the, the Clinton campaign is saying. Would you feel comfortable with the referee being paid for by one team and not the others? That, yeah. Regardless of what happens, yeah, right. it, it, that just doesn't, that's obviously a, a problem. All right. Now, having said that, right, doesn't Tuesday sort of make Donna Brazil's story, so what? I think it does have that effect. Yeah, it, it knocks down. As somebody joked to me, I think uh, yesterday, Wednesday was the last day of 2016. You know, like maybe we can <laughs> we can put this stuff to bed. Um, and I and I also think Brazil has has overcranked some of her statements in a, in a way that does a little bit of a disservice to her message, which I think is an important message. But yeah, we'll see if that kind of tamps down a. a what she's saying it, it is telling uh, that like the dnc clearly has a lot of problems yeah and i think that they've taken a lot of steps this year to fix those problems 
Nothing really helps those problems along like having an opponent like Donald Trump to like help get your act together, right? Like whatever happened on Tuesday, I think we can point to the dislike of Donald Trump and the disapproval ratings of Donald Trump more than like the DNC getting their act together. So they've been given the gift of time to sort of work this through and figure it out while they have a guy like him that they're running against. On the other hand, if Northam had lost Tuesday, oh boy, everybody oh, would be man. saying, "See, Donna, you know the whole thing. You know, Donna would have kept it going." And and it would Perriello be... would have won. That would yeah. have been the whole thing that was coming out. <laughs> uh, 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 final uh, before we uh, welcome in Congressman Yarmouth. So finally, Donna's other uh, uh, bombshell revelation was that she uh, considered Plan B uh, when Hillary fainted on uh, September 11, 2015, uh, 2016, uh, replacing. The nominee with uh, Joe Biden. Joe Biden, Cory Booker, yeah. And Cory Booker, right. She didn't have the authority to do that. She did not have the authority. to. She had the authority right. to call a meeting where yeah. maybe that right. could have happened, but she right. didn't have the authority to unilaterally do it. No. And why Joe Biden and not Bernie Sanders? Uh, another question. She 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 kind of says, she you know, I, I Bernie would have, uh, apparently she says that Jeff Weaver called her, by the way, the day after that just to check in and presumably offer Bernie well, services just in case he should be needed. Uh, how can we help you? Yeah, but I guess the idea was to pull in somebody who, you know, who had not been in the primary. Who had not been in the primary, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Who had not run, who yeah. had not gotten even one delegate in Philadelphia. You know, yeah. That pissed me off. Uh, at any rate. She, she, well, it's a great point. Like, she has few yeah. friends after this book. I mean, in the, in the Democratic Party left, it's amazing. She's managed to piss off all She sides. really threw a lot of people under the bus and pissed right. off a lot of people. Yeah. You're right. Today, House and Ways and Means Committee in the Senate. I, I'm sorry, the Ways and Means Committee in the House scheduled to vote on that uh, tax. They call it tax reform bill. It's not. It's a big series of tax cuts. Uh, we'll find out uh, what the uh, what what's in it for the middle class Americans, if anything, from Congressman John Yarmouth from Kentucky. Joining us next. Racism, bigotry, hatred, xenophobia, sexism, ethnocentrism. There will be a vote. Get social with Bill Press. Like us at Facebook.com slash Bill Press Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Live video. Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Thursday, November 9 of The Bill Press Show. Washington, D.C. is where we start out. We end up with uh, with all of you, wherever you are in this great land of ours, online, on the radio, on television. We're there with you with all the uh, news of the day. Uh, brought to you today by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. We all did better because of the good work of the Teamsters Union. I had lunch yesterday with uh, Brett Caldwell, who's the communications director for the Teamsters, telling me about their latest effort, which is to organize the cannabis workers in California. Wow. Come on, really? How about that? Man, they are <laughs> ahead of the curve. Uh, and he showed me, uh, we have on our website, the logo for the Teamsters. Mm-hmm. You take the logo for the Teamsters and you put the green cannabis leaf right in the middle of it. <laughs> and that's the logo for the new Teamsters operation in California. <laughs> God Perfect. bless America. Go to Teamsters.org uh, and check it out. Uh, Alex Seitzwald here with us uh, from uh, uh, NBC News. And we're joined by our good friend, 
from Kentucky, uh, Kentucky's third congressional district, yeah, Congressman yeah. John Yarmouth. Hey, Congressman, good to see you. Yeah, it's great to be here. The band is back together. Peter's band. back. Yes, sir. Yeah, Peter, We're all here. Peter awesome. is back. Yeah. Uh, Happy birthday! Thank by you. The way. Oh, Thank yeah. you. Uh, the, we're always glad to have the chair of the Bourbon Caucus in, and uh, one of your colleagues was in earlier, Congressman Peter Welsh. She said the Bourbon Caucus was alive and well last Absolutely. night. Absolutely. We uh, last night we had an uh, had an event, and Peter was there, and uh, we have actually we're having a Bourbon Caucus event <laughs> next week uh, on the Hill for members only. Oh. <laughs> Those are the fun parties, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll have you know, you mentioned the band is back together. When I was out, Bill visited me in the hospital and brought me some good Kentucky bourbon. Excellent. So, well, that's a cure for everything. Yeah. I got here earlier than was expected. Uh, I want you to know I got in a lot of trouble. <laughs> also true. Well, and also while we're at it. So to, to smuggle the bourbon into the hospital, I bought this. Thinking nice. I could put it in here and nobody would know what was in that little... Uh, that's, that's true. His plans were foiled. My plans were foiled. Uh, Sniffer dogs, how'd they, how they catch you? <laughs> Oh, that's a long story. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I do have to ask you in the light of... It does I'm look make... different in an IV needle. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, Congressman, are thinking about sending Peter out to Madison, Wisconsin to maybe give a few tips to our, our colleague and friend, uh, Mark Pocan, right, uh, right. who just had triple bypass surgery yesterday. Major open heart yeah. surgery. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Have you heard anything from No, him? apparently he's doing very well, and, uh, you know, we wish him the best. Mark's a great guy, a great member. So uh, he'll, re- he'll be fine. Right. And we didn't realize you've been in so often, we've never uh, had a chance to discuss this, uh, what a... Uh, a living threat you have in Louisville with uh, lawn clippings. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, so I want to know, how do you get along with your neighbors? Uh, are you much careful better, not to... Much better than Rand does. Boy, that's, that... bo- that's Bowling Green, and that's, oh, a, it's that's a different... Yeah, that's where the massacre was, remember? Kellyanne Conway, the Bowling Green massacre. Oh, right. yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah <they're> never, <laughs> never forget. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, which, of course, never happened. What a weird story, huh? Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it is a weird story. Yeah. I mean, I, I, and, you know, Senator Paul knows six broken ribs i mean whew, even a f- cracked rib as we all know is, is, you can't right and now apparently he has some painful. issues with fluid in um uh, in the cavity and uh, you know it, it, a few complications but yeah i mean you know there's too much anger in this country i mean people get angry everybody i think everybody needs anger management training yeah <laughs> right it's true yeah. mandatory or, or more bourbon <laughs> or more bourbon <laughs> that's right exactly alright so tax cuts up today it looks like they're going to ram it through the House Ways and Means Committee what you read it, what, and, uh, yeah that's what it looks like I, I, the members I talked to the Republican members of course we're not you know we're bystanders here and the we Democrats uh, the Republican members seem to think what they're saying is we're just going to vote it out of here this, we're going to end up swallowing what if if the Senate is able to pass something, we're going to end up swallowing that. So we don't care. I mean, that's basically what they're saying. God, doesn't matter attitude. what the details how are. Many, how many hearings have they it. had on this bill? Absolutely zero. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Absolutely. It's zero. only the entire U.S. economy. Right. Involved, and of course, right? you know, and they're they're rewriting it as they go. <laughs> and, and, you know, the manager's amendment is apparently being revised almost minute to minute. So when it actually gets to the committee. Uh, most members will not have seen it. When it gets to the floor, most members will not have read it. Uh, so it, it's it, the whole thing's a scam. It's a scam on the American people, and it's a scam on the legislative process. But how, how can you say that about massive tax cuts for the middle class? <laughs> yeah, if only. 
if only. You know, I, I think it's interesting that, that the Republicans think that their political fate rests with doing this. Because the way I see it, uh, the only thing, if they get it done, which I still am very, very skeptical of, but if, if they get it done, the only thing they will accomplish is paying off their donors. Hmm. <laughs> you know, that's all, all they will have accomplished. And I want to go to the voters next fall with that message. They've been in control of the entire government. What did they do? They gave enormous tax breaks to the people who fund their campaigns. That's it. That's a one accomplishment. One accomplishment. Right. Um, do you think that um, the kick in the butt that they got on November 7, uh, Tuesday, will, um, you know, make them more determined to pass a tax bill or maybe a little more cautious about what's in it? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. I wouldn't want to be in their, their shoes right now. I, I, well, actually, I would never want to be in their <laughs> shoes. But, <laughs> right. but, 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 but certainly at this time, because they, yeah, they, yep. they, they, they really are in a, in, a, in a Hobson's Choice situation where I think, you know, if they, if they pass this thing, uh, it's a huge case to be made against them that, you know, they lied about it, it, it being a tax cut for the middle class. You know, according to uh, Tax Policy Center in 10 years, 25 percent of middle class citizens will actually have their taxes increased. And, an, and another substantial portion will get no benefit at all or you know, less than $100. Uh, so it, it is a scam on the middle class and, and very, very dishonest. So they face having to defend that next year or they have to defend their incompetence as, as governing as a governing party. So. Either way, I think they're in really a tough, spot, a tough spot. Congressman, are you hearing anything from your Republican colleagues from New York, New Jersey, you know, those high-tax states uh, where they're worried about that state and local tax deduction? Are there enough of them to actually have an influence on this bill, or do you think they're just going to have to swallow whatever is put up there? It, my, my read is that enough of them are going to swallow it and, mm. and risk uh, whatever repercussions so they can get it out of, out of the House. Man. That they'll be... You know, like a Daryl Issa, there are a few, I think, Faso in New York, but Tom Reed's going to support the bill and, and several other New Yorkers. Um, so I, they'll, they won't lose enough votes over that, I think, to doom the bill in the House. It looks like they're going to get it. They're going to get it done. It, it, they won't get all of the Republican votes. They'll, they'll lose a dozen or so probably. Are, are, are you surprised by the, the, the California delegation there seems unusually quiet? Uh, I mean, Issa being the one exception there, but... Yeah, it seems to me that there, some of them think that the impact on their their particular district is not substantial enough that they'll pay a p- political price. Hmm. Uh, you know that that's their judgment to make. I don't know. I look at my district. You know, Kentucky has a six percent state income tax. Can, the city of Louisville has an additional two point two percent occupational tax. So, you know, that's an eight percent hit to people in my district and that's not a that's not a blue state i mean yeah yeah they're, they're a half according to the statistics we have a half million people in kentucky will lose an average of almost ten thousand dollars of deductions wow so you know I, I think the the impact of this is much broader than than the press coverage is yeah, yeah obviously new york you know new york illinois california um and New Jersey are the one, the biggest ones, but Maryland has a pretty hefty tax. Massachusetts does as well. Darrell so, Issa ought to be worried. I know his district yeah. well. I mean, he ought to be worried about. It. And in fact, in, any anywhere in California should be worried about. I would think so. Any, any Republican in California, I would think. Right. Would, yeah, exactly. I, well, and the the rumor is that the, they're not more of them speaking up because McCarthy is you know turning the screws on them from from California. 
Uh, but I think especially after Tuesday, you know, when the suburbs really revolted, uh, I would be nervous if I were there. Oh, boy, I would too. I would too. I mean, I, you know, I don't know. There's no way to tell. But I, I would guess if that, if the congressional elections had been Tuesday, judging from what happened, mm-hmm. we'd have picked up 40 seats. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we would have. I yeah. think it would have been a romp. And, you know, maybe not as bad as the Republican romp in 2010 when they picked right. up 63. 60. But right. uh, but I, th- I would bet we'd pick up 40 seats. And, and I don't see the, the energy dissipating. You know, I, I, think, I think that Trump has so damaged the Republican brand that people, you know, political affiliation has become part of people's identity. And I think more and more people are just not comfortable identifying as Republicans right now. I think that was a huge part of it. And the other thing is, I think that people who are not confirmed avid Trump fans, uh, who are either independents uh, or Democrats, have figured out that elections have consequences. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right. That they they do make a difference, and that if you know right now Jill Stein and and uh, I forget the other Gary Johnson Gary Johnson uh, would not have scratched on the board after after this year. So uh, that's a really good sign. And right. and progressives have also figured out that unless they win, <laughs> their principles don't mean anything. And you know one of the things that I found so exciting about this uh, uh, Tuesday uh, Tuesday's results was. There's so many of it. Uh, it wasn't a, a top-down kind of election where the DNC or Nancy or Chuck was said, we're running this whole thing and here are our candidates. These, this is like, it was moveon.org, it was our revolution, it was Emily's list to put up these candidates, city councils, mayors all across the country, and women and people of color and transgender people, LGB, LGBTQ people. I mean, it was amazing, yeah. uh, the depth and the breadth of the win. Yeah. We're seeing that in Kentucky across the state. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I've been spending a lot of time out away from my district in Kentucky because I'm the only progressive, and at least on a national basis, anywhere in the state. Uh, so I've been going to events and, and throughout the state, and every time I go, they say there are record crowds and there are a lot of new people in every one of these. And we yeah. we lost the House last year, Kentucky House, for the first time in, in decades. Uh, we lost 17 seats by a total of 21,000 votes. And and I believe we can take the House back. Looking at what happened in Virginia, uh, and that was with the top of the ticket in Kentucky. In some places, Trump won by 40, 50 points. Mm-hmm. So, and we're, we're recruiting candidates, and, and the Emerge Kentucky people, the women uh, candidates, we're getting them everywhere. And we're getting them for city council seats and state legislative districts and school boards. And it's, it's exciting. The, I saw the raw vote in, in Virginia compared to 2013, the last time they elected a governor, uh, uh, Terry McCollum, mm-hmm. was up 16 percent over 2013, and yeah. 31 up 31 percent in Charlottesville, where the university. Is. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that's just grassroots organizing. That's absolutely right, and that was despite horrible weather. <laughs> that's right. right. Yeah, I, I, one figure I heard uh, was that uh, I, I forget the exact timing, but it was like two weeks out. Uh, Four years ago, they had something like 25,000 absentee ballots. They had 25,000 absentee ballots the entire election. Two weeks out, they had already had 40,000. Mm. So, again, uh, great great enthusiasm and energy. So uh, do you think uh, this time, two years from now, you'll be sitting in the majority? If I had to bet now, I would bet we, we would be. Really? Yeah. I, I think 
I've been saying for a year I thought it was 50-50, and now I think it's it's more than it's better than 50-50 chance that we have taken the house back. All the retirements, all this energy, yeah. um, you know, Trump's not going to change. Uh, I, I just think the everything is is looking like a wave election. And, and you know, the thing that's interesting is Donald Trump isn't going to change. I think that we can sort of say that with some sincerity now, right? Like there's there's a, there, there's a thing that presidents do when things start not going their way to try and save it and right the ship and, yeah. you know, maybe act like a little bit more of a president to everybody instead of just their party. And that's just not going to happen with Donald Trump. I, I know that, like, politics is unpredictable and especially now more than ever. I can say that with some sincerity. <laughs> I don't think Donald Trump is going to change. No. No pivot coming. No, I don't think the pivot is actually going to come. No, look how fast he threw Ed Gillespie within minutes. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, right. Under the bus, right? From from Asia. From yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And and don't forget the Mueller investigation. There is that. (laughs) There is. There is also that. (laughs) I suspect that there will be further developments in the next uh, twelve months. Oh, I think in the next twelve days. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's what Michael Flynn's afraid of. Uh, Right. Right. Uh, on that, what do you think of? Uh, I saw Al Green yesterday, your your uh, colleague, saying that he's going to force another vote on impeachment before well, Christmas. We, you don't have to say that. We can have Al Green himself tell us that. Here he <laughs> we is. Have the I now announce that before Christmas, there will be a vote on the chief inciter of racism, bigotry, hatred, xenophobia, <laughs> sexism, ethnocentrism. There will be a vote in the U.S. House of Representatives, Mr. Speaker, on the impeachment of the president. How do you yeah, vote? Well, I, you know, I, I, I think it's unfortunate that Al's doing this the way he's doing it, which mm-hmm. is to use a personal privilege uh, motion to get it on the floor. Uh, there are a lot of people, I think, for whom that vote is going to be on our side. Particularly, is going to it's going to be an uncomfortable situation. And I, I don't think he ought to put everybody in that position. I'm co-sponsoring uh, an impeachment resolution that Steve Cohen's introducing and or intends to introduce. And so, I, you know, I'm not afraid of going on the record. But but a lot of people, I think, just from a democratic perspective, I think it's probably a, a bad idea to do it this way. Uh, it's not going anywhere. It's again. It puts a lot of people on our spot on a spot when they haven't gotten to that point yet where they they think impeachment's justified. They're no fan of Trump, but they're not yet ready to right. To, and, that's, and I think that's perfectly legitimate. I, I was not there either until he threatened to use the power of the government to uh, take uh, broadcast licenses away. Hmm. To me, that was an impeachable offense, and um, so that's when I decided to to get on because Steve actually addresses that in his. Uh, in his resolution. When you think about it also, if, if what you say is correct, and certainly I would think the chances are certainly better after Tuesday, that Democrats will have control of the House uh, in 2018, starting in 2018, then, then Democrats could really do something about it in a procedural way and not a right. point of personal privilege. Exactly. And I'll tell you what else will be, will be exciting if we take the majority back is the a seat on the Oversight and Government Reform Committee will be the most cherished seat. Yeah. <laughs> it, will be, it will be more in demand than appropriations, ways and means, energy and commerce. You name it. That's where oh. everybody's going to want to be. That would be. Yeah, that <laughs> will be. Does that Elijah be. Cummings keep that or is he going to have a fight for it? Oh, I think, you know, I don't think anybody thinks that uh, Elijah 
uh, has done anything but a superb job in, in defending uh, our, our perspective and during his term as ranking member. So I don't but, think there'll be a challenge to him. Uh, uh, Congressman, there's another big um, important issue to you, I know. There's another big winner on Tuesday, and that was the Affordable Care Act. Um, four out of ten voters in Virginia came out, said health care, <laughs> the Affordable Care was their number one issue. And, of course, in Maine, uh, the Mainers voted, what was it, 59%? Our fellow 59. Mainer here. Uh, yeah. 50? 59. 59%. 59. To expand, to expand Medicaid, Medicaid in yeah. that state uh, over the wishes <laughs> of Paula Page. Yeah, and and so far the enrollment uh, has more than exceeded uh, past uh, levels, in spite of the fact that they uh, have done everything they can from this administration to sabotage it, cut the advertising budget by ninety percent, keep it a secret, keep it a secret, yeah. cut the hours on Sunday of the website. Um, you know, they've again cut the. The, uh, the subsidies, the cost-sharing reductions, subsidies. So, um, yeah, I think the, the ACA is being vindicated uh, very well right now. And, and it clearly has not, you know, people forget. There, there are problems. We've talked about this before. There are problems in the individual market. There's no question about that. There are always going to be problems in the individual market because it, it's a very difficult market for insurance companies to figure out. You know, you come into a, a, a county in Kentucky where there may only be 30,000 people, which means there may only be 1,000 potential customers there for individual insurance. So how do you actually figure out, you know, is it worth going into that county mm-hmm. and negotiating with the providers and then marketing and doing all that? So there's always going to be a problem there. The vast majority of the Affordable Care Act is working really well. Expanded Medicaid, where it's been implemented in my state, as well as anywhere else, 500,000 people on expanded Medicaid. Um, it's going well. The changes that were made in Medicare have vastly improved that program, not just the, be- the, the benefits for seniors, but also the financial viability. We've extended the life of, of Medicare by a number of years because we of the cost-saving uh, provisions in the law. Medicare is growing at, a, at the slowest rate it's grown in, in modern history. Hmm. So people forget about that. You know, I was on Ways and Means. We drafted the Medicare portion, and that was a big focus. How do we keep Medicare viable? How do we improve services for seniors? How do we eliminate waste? And we did some really good work there. But that never gets talked about. We talk about this, again, the problems with the individual market, which, again, is about 6% of the people. And uh, so uh, the, the point there is this is the enrollment period. Uh, yeah. Again, you may not have known it because the Trump administration <laughs> didn't want you to know it. Uh, but it started on November 1. It goes only until December 15. They've cut that short, but now's the time that you can reapply or apply for a new new yeah. a policy under uh, the provisions of the Affordable Care Act, yeah. which, d- again, despite what don't believe what Donald Trump tells you, is not in a death spiral. It still exists. Right. And, and for, you know, they talk about all these premiums going up. Most of the increase in premiums in the individual market were because the the administration shut off these cost sharing reductions, and the insurance companies needed to do that to, to yeah, stay sure. viable. But for the average person, eighty percent of the people who are getting buying individual insurance through the exchange through the ACA get a subsidy, and the subsidy rises with the cost of the premium. So the impact on yeah. most of the people is is nothing. I mean, they're right. going to be in the same position they were. One other uh, winner, a person who won on the um, Tuesday, was a new member of the Virginia House of Delegates by the name of Chris Hurst, who was a, a local TV anchor in Virginia. His fiance was another uh, was a reporter for that same station who was shot on the air while she was doing a stand-up. Uh, Chris Hurst 
decided he was going to, damn it, get even, uh, and ran for the Virginia House of Delegates. Uh, NRA spent a ton of money to try against him. He was taken on the NRA, and he won, Congressman, which proves the point you and I have talked about before. Yeah. You can take on the NRA and win. Why don't more people do it? You know, it's a great question. You know, I think the way I've always looked at it in my district, and I'm, you know, I have an F rating from the NRA. Proud of it. Proudly. Uh, proud of it. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, and as a matter of fact, I didn't even fill out their this their last <laughs> year that their questionnaire, their questionnaire because I actually there were two questions I would have agreed with them on, and I said I don't want to get it. You want to jeopardize your F rating? <laughs> no, no, I want I want a zero. <laughs> so, I, but you know. The way I look at it is, in my district, there may be 2,000 people who would vote based on a, a gun position. That's it. That would be their top uh, priority. They're not going to vote for me anyway. So, you know, people say, oh, you're so courageous to take them on. I said, no, there's no courage involved. They can't do anything to me. You know, and I think that's the way people have to start looking at it. And I don't know whether Chris did or not, but, you know, I'm so proud of him and, and his, it's a great story. But that politics to me, Electoral politics is all about how many, hmm. how many votes you move mm-hmm. from from one side to the other, and in most of these cases, if you're a Democrat, the NRA people who would cast their vote based on guns are not going to vote Democratic. <laughs> they just aren't Be- right. for because they're wired to vote a different way, and that's why I think p- Democrats make a mistake in in cowing uh, to them, but. Truth is, most Democrats aren't right now. It's it's the Republicans who are, and and again, I think they're going to. Republicans would get those votes, most of those votes, whether they're pro gun or not. Which means, sadly, that in the wake of Las Vegas and now in the wake of Sutherland uh, Springs, mm-hmm. Texas, we're not going to see any action That's at right. all. Congressman, thanks so much for coming Thank in you. today. And Thank thanks you to for the Teamsters for sponsoring. You know, you you. Uh, <laughs> Uh, UPS is our biggest employer, and we have te- tens of thousands of Teamsters All in right. our district, right. so I want to shout out to them. Thanks. Alex Icewell, thanks for coming in today. All right, folks, have a great uh, Thursday. This is the Bill <laughs> Press Show. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader, too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.